So, as you see, we've talked about it, we've joked about it. Yesterday was the sale. And we've had a number of these sales now, and we're so thankful that we can have them, that they raise money for missions, and these are not for our quarterly missions projects, or people we support, but for some other type missions, team type things. And so we're, we're very thankful for that. But this sale, this one in particular, is going to go down as the great coffee catastrophe of 2022. <laughs> Just how it is. So... A lot of stuff came in, and this place was, you couldn't, if you didn't come, you have no idea how full this place was. It's been consolidated, a lot of stuff went out, and more is going to go with, um, with Stacey and, and Preston, and so that's, <laughs> that's all good. But um, while we were planning on it, I have for years, and I mentioned to Peggy Porter, I mentioned for years, I said, I always love at the sale is I like to make a pot of coffee, have it out there on the counter, visit with people as they're here, and just you know get, the, uh, get a chance to visit, say hi, give them something for free. We always put it for free. Our sign said, uh, coffee free, hugs 10 cents. So it's, it's good, all right? We make sure that we have a little something to minister to them. And it wasn't going to happen this year. I said, Peggy, we're going to have, we have so much stuff. I think I need to be out on the floor more. Okay, so this is what I told her on Friday afternoon. Friday night, I'm just ready to finally doze off a little bit, and there's my phone. Okay, so I got my phone. Oh, Peggy Porter sent me a text. Hey, I think you ought to do the coffee. That's a good ministry that you have. Peggy, I'm trying to go to sleep. Okay, <laughs> now, it's like I just drank a cup of coffee. I can't even sleep. And what I didn't know is, is she pulling my leg, or is she serious? But what she did not know in the meantime is I had learned, and I thought, oh, this is going to work out perfect. I had learned that Karen with the waffle Wickstrom's, okay, John, the best waffle maker in the world, they're going to have the food truck out by Brouhaha, and they're running some kind of a special concurrent with coffee and the food truck. What a great idea. So it just confirmed to me that, oh, we shouldn't serve coffee because we don't want to conflict with what the people are trying to do with coffee down the street. Great. Everything's good. And then Peggy's message. I don't know what to make of this. So you get here in the morning. Are you were kidding me? Or you say, no, I think you should. Yeah, that's, that's a good ministry that's taken place. I'm not so sure I'm convinced, but when Peggy Porter tells you something, you kind of got to do it. So, all right. Now I'm going to start putting the coffee out. I go, I find the coffee maker that I've used before, I believe. I put it out there. One thing I didn't know. I'm going to make 60 cups. What I don't know is how much coffee do you put into this 60 thing. But I know the guy who does. Because I know Tim Kiviaho. I go, pull him out of the men's prayer time right here. Take him out of prayer. i got something more important than prayer. How much coffee do you put in to that little hopper? So he calculates for a moment. and Okay, put in this much. Great! I'm going to do that. Thanks, Tim. He goes back in to pray. The world is in a good place. So I do exactly what he tells me to do. I get that right amount into the thing. I hit the button. Everything is percolating. I'm good. I'm good. It goes through its whole cycle. And we got coffee ready to go. Hey, everybody, we got coffee. Turn my sign around so everybody can see it. And it's time for coffee. And about 10 minutes later, I realize I'm looking at right next to the coffee pot. There's a cup of coffee. That's, uh, the cup, it had been filled about an inch and just left there. And I look in there and it's like, oh great, this is not as dark as it should be. I can just tell that. It's like a weak tea. And great, somebody started to pour it, said this is no good, left it. I need to put in more coffee grounds. So, 
I thought I did what Tim said, so I go ahead, dump that whole thing out, clean it up enough to be able to start another pot, 60 more cups of cold water in, I'm good, right? Only this time I'm going to put in more coffee. And I don't know exactly how much more, but I'm going to put in more, and Tim comes by. And I'm like, yeah, Tim, it was too weak. He's like, what? That should have been right. And so I'm trying to put more, and he's like, oh, that'll, that'll be enough, because I've gone further with what he said. And then he's not looking, I go, I'm going to put a little more in, okay, because that was really weak. So he didn't know that, all right. So we run this second pot of coffee, and sure as shoot, and it gets done, goes through the, okay, I know we're good. We get done, pour the little coffee out, because now I need to check it. It's darker, but now it's like not as weak tea. You've got to be kidding me. So now, that isn't going to work. So now it's time for the third pot of coffee. So this time, 60 cups, and I am like getting the shovel out, you know, <laughs> as I take the whole thing. It's just like about that hopper about filled to the top. This is going to get dark. You can't help but get it dark this time. Run through the cycle. Get it all done. It's still not dark enough. And I mean, I had a lot of coffee. So finally, I know. All right, it's not the coffee maker, it's the coffee maker, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I am not going through this again. Dump out the grounds, carry the coffee pot, it's now sitting out in the garbage. Because it was not me. That one is gone. I made a decision. That's the kind of power and authority I have. I'm throwing this thing out. All right? Man, oh man, I tell you, it was not good. So, now the greatest amount of the crowd has slowed down. You can see it's like, well... Not, not sure if we should make coffee now or not. And, and uh, maybe we should. But we're not doing a big pot because things have slowed down. And I'm clearly losing my touch and my patience for coffee. And Addie Linnell happens to say, because she and her mom were helping, and say, my dad really likes when I make coffee for him. She decides to give it a try. And rather than the 60 thing, because hey, you know, we're about, it doesn't look like there's many people here, she makes it in the little red thing back there, makes about 8 to 10 cups. And she makes her little 8 to 10 cup thing, and they all disappear. I come back and 10 minutes later, and they're all gone. Did, you get, did everybody take I took it. I'm doing better than you. <laughs> she makes another one. She makes another one. She was making coffee in that little thing the rest of our time there, and it all went. And people loved her coffee. And that was wonderful for her. And everywhere I went, anybody from our church who showed up, anybody who knows me, they said, hey, Gary, how you doing? Here you had a little trouble with the coffee today, didn't you? <laughs> Great. That, that was good. Addie's got a whole new enterprise on mine for that. I, done with coffee. All right, that's how that is. Now, there is a reason I told you that story. We're coming back to the book of Romans. And I've got to tell you where we've been. We're in Romans chapter 4. And in Romans chapter 4, Paul is giving this elongated discussion about justification by faith, which is the theme of the book, theme of the gospel. Okay, and in Romans chapter 4, what we had read, and you're going to just be asked to listen for a while. There's only a few verses that are going to actually show up on the screen when there are texts for today. But what we had most recently read before, I mean, two weeks ago when I was here, Miles filled in for me last week, did a great job. Um, and what we had been reading about was this last of four statements that Paul is making about justification by faith and its relationship 
to the law. And, he, and we had read this about God speaking to Abraham. He says, I've made you a father of many nations. And in the presence of him whom he believed God, it's this interaction between Abraham and God. And God's making a promise that Abraham is going to become the father of many nations, not just his blood descendants, but all these others considered the Jews. He's going to become the father of those as well. And God makes him that promise, and he believes him on that. And that's the point of what we're reading here, to get us back up to speed. And he believed God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God is able to bring life from death. He's able to bring into existence that which does not exist. Who, contrary to hope, this is Abraham, in hope believed. Even though there wasn't there a thing to hope for, there wasn't anything to see. He's like, you have no reason to hope this. He still believed God. So that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. Because that's the promise God was making to him. And not being weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old. He wasn't paying attention to that reality that he's too old to have kids. His wife is too old to have kids. That's not what he's thinking about. He also not considering the deadness of Sarah's womb. Verse 20 said this, He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. That's what we're talking about, and a righteousness that is accounted to Abraham. And the reason that I told you the story I did is because of verse 20. I realized I did not touch on that as I should have the last time we were together. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He wasn't looking at his the deadness of his body, the deadness of Sarah's body, the impossibility of what was before them, and decide, no, I, I'm not sure this can happen. He did not waver. Yesterday, I wavered the whole morning on coffee. When Peggy asked, maybe you should make it, I'm like, should I make it? I really, Karen's trying to do something out here. I don't want to disrupt what Karen's doing with, the, with brouhaha, and I don't want to get in the way of something. And, and then we're like, well, but it's really kind of a different thing, and it's probably not going to conflict with what they do. And then I start making it, and the pot's not working right. And then I've got this young girl who's able to make me look like a total idiot. And I'm like, what in the world am I doing with coffee? But I wavered the whole time. I wavered the entire time. And... The word to waver, which Abraham did not do. Interesting word. Another compound word in the original language. But an interesting word. In that it literally means through thinking. So you, can un you get this vision. Alright? Imagine that Abraham... This is what I was doing. Let's skip Abraham for a moment. This is what I was doing. I'm trying to think through the coffee thing. I'm thinking through the coffee thing. And where am I at? Well, it's nice to have coffee for people. Yeah, but I don't want to get in the way of what Karen's doing. Yeah, but people can enjoy having that coffee. Yeah, but I don't have time for this right now. And yeah, but, yeah, but, and I'm, and I'm on this balancing line with between this and between that, this and that, and I never settled on anything. And I wavered all morning. So thankful for Addie, who was like, dude, I got this. Get out of my way. Okay, I'm going to get this done. And she really did. I was really proud of her. But I wavered. So I want you to understand the word. As you're trying to think it through, you see stuff on this side, stuff on that side, don't know which way to go, don't know what to do. 
Abraham never did that. Abraham, it says and said, was strengthened in faith and gave glory to God. God said it and he was going to believe him for it. And he was going to trust him for that. So you have to understand that's what Paul is talking about prior to our text today. This is the fourth point that he makes of, of some comparisons, which we'll review briefly. And then it goes on to say, therefore, verse 22, therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now we'll bring up our text from uh, Romans chapter 4, verse 23. It was accounted to him for righteousness, verse 22. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Got those three little verses that cap off this long discussion. 21 verses were, or 22 verses worth of discussion that Paul was having about this whole concept of justification by faith. And if you will remember with us, because we've said it a number of times, and again, I'm reviewing things to help them stick. At the beginning of the chapter, after he had introduced this topic of justification by faith, he raises this question, so do we make void the law because we're talking about justification by faith? Have we just made uh, the law like it had no meaning now, that whole Old Testament thing? He says, absolutely not. We establish the law. And that's where you've heard me say repeatedly that the gospel that Paul is bringing is congruent with and continuous with the law of the Old Testament. It all fits into what God was doing under the law, under that time frame. It, it doesn't dismiss that at all. It works directly with it. So here's what we have said. Justification by faith establishes the law by, and here are the four points that Paul makes. First of all, glorifying God who alone is worthy of glory. Secondly, blessing sinners as David himself had described in, in accordance with, with uh, in an agreement with Abraham. Thirdly, revealing the inclusivity of God's redemptive work and that it was going to be for everyone, not just those who are blood relatives of Abraham, and revealing the power of God's promise. That's what we talked about last week. The power of God's promise. And we had, we had likened this to traveling Illinois. Last time we'll probably reference this, right? The first thing is that, hey, we went from Rockford to Bloomington, and then we went from Bloomington over to Champaign-Urbana, and nothing seems to change. It seems like we're just droning on about this uh, justification by faith, but he really is saying important things. And to just how hard to tease out. And then we go from Champaign-Urbana down to Effingham, and that's the big cross. And there we see the inclusivity, that the cross is for everyone who will respond to it. And what a blessing it is to see that out there in the plains of Illinois. And then he finishes up with revealing the power of God's promise as he goes from Effingham and on down south. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead who was delivered up because of our offenses was raised because of our justification. Here's all that I want you to take away from this today. Maybe this is just succinct enough that it'll stick for you. Abraham is the prototype. It was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him or 
or credited to his account or logged onto his side of the ledger. It wasn't for him alone. Abraham is the prototype. We're talking about only about Abraham at that point. We are production models. You know the difference between a prototype and a production model? The prototype is that, that thing that somebody has an idea and they're trying to build a little one of it up, trying to build up, show you an idea of what it would be like, what we're going for here. Get it working, get it functioning. That's the prototype. But by the time it gets to production, there's you know, some other modifications. There's these things that are all, these look a little different than that, but that gave us this working model. The prototype was Abraham with crossing Illinois, four major points of connection, congruity, continuity. It was all working. We're looking at Abraham. We're looking at Abraham. We're looking at Abraham. He's the prototype. And then as we finish this discussion, he gives us just three little verses. Not just for him, but also for us. The beginning of verse 24 says, we're the production models. It's to hold true for us as well been watching something. Every so often I check with it online. Uh, I was really intrigued by it when it first, the guy first came out, a guy by the name of Paul Elio, came up with an idea for a car that was supposed to get 84 miles to the gallon. little three-wheel car. You sit, a two-seater that you sit uh, one front and behind one another rather than side by side. And the point of that was it, you took the windshield, which slows down your mileage, and uh, you put it this way, it has a much smaller windshield. And he was going to be able to produce this for like $7,400. It'll be great. What a great idea. I'm in. So I was intrigued by it. And there's all sorts of pictures of his prototype. And I noticed that on the, on the website now it says, Elio, that's what they call the cars, Elio. Elio is an idea whose time has come. And that time is now. What a wonderful, exciting thing. Yeah, there, there's the prototype. And that time is now. And what Paul is saying is Abraham was the prototype. And now we have the full-orbed gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's still all about justification by faith. It's still what we're talking about. Now, in this particular passage, he, as he ends in chapter 4, verse 25, he was delivered up because of our offenses, was raised because of our justification. Paul now offers to us a second reason for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first one he threw at us succinctly, and it was in chapter 1, verse 4, and it said it validated who Jesus Christ was. Declared to be the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. It validated who he is. There is only one person in all of history who was resurrected by themselves. Others have been brought back from the dead, but not by themselves. They didn't do it to themselves. It was the power of God that did it in them, but in Jesus, there it was. That was the first reason to validate his deity. But now Paul is offering us a second reason as we're deep into chapter 4. We're finishing chapter 4. Jesus was raised for the sake of our justification. Now here's where it's going to get a little bit heavy. A little bit heavy. And I'm sorry, but we need to think this through. I do not want you to misunderstand the direct, clear teaching that Scripture has that Jesus Christ is our only hope and that that is acquired. Uh, what He has done for us is acquired by faith and that we are declared righteous based upon our faith and what Jesus Christ has done. We cannot miss this. 
Notice, Abraham was declared righteous. First, he's the prototype. He was declared righteous because why? He believed God's promise to bring life from his dead body. That's what we, where we began, reminding us of that. He and Abraham and Sarah, their bodies were beyond being able to give life to a newborn. And God made it happen. And he believed him in that before it happened. In fact, 14 years before it happened, he was believing him for that. So that is what God looked at in Abraham and said, no, I am pleased with that and I will account that to your righteousness. Isaac was the validation of that promise that God made when Isaac became the son that they should not have had. But they did because God is able to bring life from death. Now, here's the point. The resurrection provides the object of what we're called to believe. The resurrection provides the object of what we're called to believe. That just as God raised up Christ from death, He is able to raise us up from spiritual death to spiritual life. And when we believe that reality, we are believing the power of God's promise. And God is able to declare us righteous just as He declared Abraham righteous. I want to take you to one other, one other passage. Not going to be on a screen. Something you're familiar with. In the book of Ephesians, dealing with this question from death unto life. And uh, if you want to continue to understand the gospel itself in depth, you've got to know the book of Ephesians after you understand the book of Romans or while you're going through them. They, they parallel each other in significant ways. But in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul wrote this, And you He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according, notice this, to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's who you were. You were dead, and He raised you up. He made you alive. Down in verse 4 of that same chapter, but God who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace in His kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. At the very, very center of the Gospel that we proclaim, that we understand, that the Scriptures teach is this idea that we are moved from death to life because of what God has accomplished on our behalf, through Jesus Christ. Abraham, let's go back to him. He was the prototype of the yet future gospel. It was unfolding. And in centuries before Christ came, he was a prototype of this is what God is going to do. He's going to bring life from death. And then Christ came and life from death was demonstrated at the resurrection. And we are called to believe that. And when we do, God now logs that same belief that Abraham had, that God could bring life from his he and Sarah's dead bodies procreatively, that same thing He is able to declare to us, that He can give spiritual life to us who believe that God is able to bring Christ from death unto life. Very important. 
So I want to, I want to ask this question. Why is this phrase, the just shall live by faith, which Paul introduced in Romans 1.17, now he's developing it, and we'll see further development on it. Why is it so important? You've heard me say it time and again, you know, we, we repeat it, you know, for Paul, when he's beginning to make this big declaration, I'm going to write to you about the gospel. I'm going to tell you about this gospel that we preach. It says, for I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to, to the Greek. For in it, what? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. He introduced it at the very beginning as a concept that the very core of the gospel is that the just shall live by faith. It is there that we find the justification, the declaration of our righteousness when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So here's a couple of thoughts as to why that is so important and why Paul is developing it so thoroughly. First of all, it is by grace through faith that it becomes a gift for which God gets the glory. And that was the first of those four, four things he stated in chapter 4. God gets the glory. He raised the question, if Abraham is justified by works, he has something to boast about. No, that isn't how it is. There's nobody can boast about their salvation. There's nobody to boast about the eternal life they have because it was a gift from God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, going on a little further from what we read. You all know it. For by grace are you saved through faith, right? Not of yourselves. It's what? The gift of God. Not of what? Works, lest what? Any man should boast. There is no place for any of us to be proud about our salvation because somehow we worked it out and we figured it out and we were good enough. It's by grace and faith and it's the gift for which God alone gets the glory. That's number one. It's the only point of assurance of success. Romans 4.16 pointed that out for us. It's the only point of assurance for success. And it's assurance in two ways. The first way, uh, here's what we read before. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. So what it does is it one, again, we've talked about Abraham, we've talked about his lineage, we talked about his bloodline. This is what Israel claims for itself. But what they missed was God's bringing in all these Gentiles as well. And the way he can do that, first of all, is because it's by faith. It's not about being a blood descendant of Abraham. That's not what it's about. And so that's number one. He can assure salvation to the rest of the world who will believe. And the other thing about it being assuring is that it's not contingent on any of our ability to pull our own salvation off. That, well, let's start with, I love to talk to Bob. Bob, are you good enough to pull off your own salvation? Make it all happen? Nope. Carol, is he good enough? <laughs> and Carol agrees. Alright, there you have it. It is confirmed right there. Bob's not good enough. And Carol will agree he's not good enough. And if Bob's not good enough, none of us are good enough. Alright? We need something else. And that's where the full assurance comes from, is that what we have is the cross of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. 
And that's the only way we can be assured of a successful salvation, of being with the Lord one day. That's the only way when we have funerals here that we can speak confidently of everybody who, for whom we do a funeral who we know their faith is in Jesus Christ. Not because we thought they were such wonderful people. And they were. We loved them. They were funny. We have all these history with them. None of that matters. What matters is their faith was in Jesus Christ. And by that, Christ's righteousness was put into their account because they believed God for what He would do. Now here's Here's the last thing that hopefully it'll be a little new to you. But you've got to think with it. And I realize I'm asking you to think, but Paul's got deep stuff here in chapter 4. Why is the just shall live by faith introduced in 117 so important? Why is he developing it so thoroughly? Third thing, it is the repudiation of the sin of Adam. Think about this with me now. Adam was essentially asked to trust God for his provision, wasn't he? Hey, I've put you in this garden. I've given you all these trees. This one I'd like you to not eat from. But all these other trees in this garden, and my purposes for you will fulfill everything you need in life. Everything. You two just enjoy this creation I put you in. I've made it to be under your dominion. Go for it. Stay away from this one tree. Because in the day you eat of that one, you will die. The tree was what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But right now they've never experienced evil. And you say, trust me on this one, would you? Under Satan's temptation, they abandoned that trust of God. They abandoned the belief that God would meet all their needs. They abandoned the belief that He was all that they needed and that He had provided everything for them. Because what did the evil one do? He came into the garden. What did he say? Has God said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And remember, he is uh, a slippery character. More cunning than all the beasts of the field. He was described as being cunning before he ever says a thing. And he's asking the question, can God's plan fully satisfy you? Can God really pull this off? Is He able to do that, first of all? Puts His ability... The ability of His power, the ability of His provision, that question. Can He really do that for you? Because look, there's this whole area over here with this other tree. You have no clue what that would do for you. God knows you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. That's why He doesn't want you to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God is keeping your full realization from you. You can't trust Him. You can't trust His motivations. You can't trust the very character of His being. Because if you could, why would, why would He be keeping something from you? If He was so all-providing and all-good and He wanted all these wonderful things for you, why is He keeping something from you? You can't trust Him. Do you recall we've repeated it over and over again? After He after he says what he does in Romans 1, 17, for uh, the, the just shall live by faith, he then goes on to say, for the wrath of God. Remember that? Verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And do you remember, we won't go any further than that, but do you remember what it was about? They refuse to receive that here's the creator God of the universe. He's made himself known by everything around you. 
And they refused to accept that he had the power to do that. And they refused to give him glory. And they refused to submit to what that truth that was right there in front of them. And they said, nope, not going to do it. Not going to believe that. That's what Adam was doing. Not going to believe God. I'm going to believe what the evil one tells me. And so it's the suppression of truth thing, the believing what the evil one said in the garden. Suppressing the truth in unrighteousness is its own, not repudiation of the sin of Adam, but the reproduction of the sin of Adam. It's just following in that path. God is not able to have made the creation. He's not trustworthy. I will not believe Him. You recall, that was a willful thing which they were doing. They were suppressing the truth. Not going to have any of it. So friends, that's why it's so important. Think about this. At the heart of the Gospel, there is this, here's what Adam did. And he didn't trust God for his provision. He didn't trust the character of God to be meeting his needs. And at the heart of the Gospel, we say, you know, that hasn't worked out so good. I will trust God. I will trust Him for His provision. I will trust Him that His character is such that He's working on my behalf. Because I realize that's a deception for my own demise. That's what happens when I willfully ignore God. So, here's why I want to wrap it up with friends. I want to finish on this thought. If we've ever, maybe we've considered this, I don't know. That the prayer of salvation is both a confession and a profession. And this, is, this gets back to something I've mentioned recently a couple of times, that we need to be careful that as we're sharing the gospel with people, the fact that they just went and said some words, that it's not magic. There needs to be both confession and profession. The confession is of what? Our own weakness. Our own sin, our own inability, our own, the own fact that we are guilty before a holy God. That's the confession. Yes, Lord, I really am a sinner. You know, Bob, he lives there every day because Carol tells him. So it's, we get that, all right? She doesn't tell him every day. I'm just kidding. I like to tease Bob. But there is the confession of sin, and then there is the profession of God's greatness that God is great enough. To have provided a Redeemer. To provided His sinless Son who died. Right? What did we read that earlier? He died for our transgressions and was raised for our justification. Both are necessary. We have to confess our transgressions and profess that what He has done through the cross is our hope. That's what we are believing in. So friends, one of the things, if we consider that, one of the things that we're getting away from is any type of uh, mealy mouth, mamby-pamby kind of, oh yeah, I believe in God. Forget that. It is not about I believe in God. Do you believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. There's a thousand people, millions of people believe in God and are going to hell. Because believing in God is not what we're talking about. Very specifically, we're talking about that the Creator God of the universe for sinners like us has provided a means of salvation in His Son. And He died on a cross because we're sinners. And He was raised again so that we might be justified. And we're saying, that's what I believe. 
I believe He died for me and I know I have a need. And God proved that His death was valid through the resurrection and my faith is in that. What Christ has done for me. Nothing of what I've done for myself. And it leaves no room for boasting. And that is something we need to make sure we're really clear on. Do I think for some, even an instant, that somehow I've had a little bit to do in this? No. You're missing the point. I'm missing the point if I think that. Christ alone is our hope and God alone gets the glory for what He has done. So that's a salvation moment, friends. And if you're here today and you have never considered that, that God has provided for your justification, for you to be declared righteous, for you to receive the righteousness of Christ solely based on faith. We have the pattern for it. The prototype is all the way back in Abraham. This is nothing new. It's not like something we just discovered in the New Testament. No, it was going on back then. But each of us must respond in faith to that. And if you have never responded in faith to that, recognize the need for confession. I'm a sinner. The need for profession. God, You are great. You are glorious. And You have provided Christ on my behalf. And I am believing in Him. He is my only hope. If we've never done that, I invite you today. That be the day. That today is, I'm not trusting in anything I can do anymore. I'm not looking for my own goodness. I'm not looking for something I can accomplish. I have Jesus Christ and Him alone for a hope. And the Bible is so clear on that, friends. So clear. So that's for salvation. And if you, if you need to, pray that prayer today. Father, I'm a sinner and I need Jesus Christ. Please save me. And He will. He will. But I'd also like to think of this in terms of, if you would with me, is this not also our daily walk? Is this not our daily walk? That the evil one is going to tempt us continually. Do you really believe God is able to meet your needs? Do you really believe He is able to bring the fullness of life that He claims He will? Jesus said, I came that they may have life, have it more abundant. Do you really believe He's going to bring you that abundance? Do you believe He's capable and do you believe He's motivated in that? And friends, we struggle in those points, don't we? Lord, I'm not sure if I can trust you in this. I don't know if you're capable. I don't really know if you have my best interest in mind. So I'll go do it my way. And my way never works well. And that's, this is the foundation to all of our spiritual growth, friends, is learning to trust this God who worked on our behalf to save us and will work daily in our lives to bring us into the fullness of what is best for us. But it's going to take faith. It's going to, not, not just faith in faith, not just faith for the sake of faith, it's going to take faith in that God has provided something for us to believe. God has provided the vindication for our faith, He's, the validation for our faith. He's made it all available to us. We're going to believe it or not. You may think, oh, that's easy, I will. No, not everybody does. Remember, they suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Not everybody wants to yield to that. And on a daily basis, friends, we renew our understanding. Lord, I've got to learn to trust you more. What you have in mind is good for me, and your motivations are pure towards me. And I come back to that again, and I yield myself to your work in my life. And maybe today there's some of us here, we've, we met Jesus in salvation. Yeah, that's happened. But somehow through the years, man, I'm not sure I can trust him. I'm not sure that I can believe him. For the practical way of my life is heading. 
that I could that I could seek his will to direct me for the next 10, 15, 20 years in the decisions that I make. And maybe today there's some people need to need to yield to that, Lord. Help me to believe that your ways for me are good and whole and righteous and will always be rewarding. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you are so kind in how you reach out to us and how you have provided for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, he died because of our sins. He was raised for the sake of our justification. We have, all that we need is met in him, Father, if we will but yield, if we will make that confession, if we will humble ourselves before you, Lord, all these different ways in which the scripture has spoken. But it's really a question that comes down to in many ways, Father, about what we believe, about your character, about your power, about who you are, whether or not we can trust you. And all too often, we don't. So for those who need a prayer of salvation today, Father, I pray that they will profess Christ for the first time as they confess their own sin. They'll understand the glory of what you have, that you can save them, move them from death to life. And Father, for those of us who are still struggling to yield our lives in a practical way on a daily basis to you, I pray that you bring us to that point today, Lord. That we say your way and only your way. And I know it will be best. Do that transforming work in us, we ask in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.